start. Sooners of Oklahoma 12-0 and still looking for respect nationwide. What is going on, Sooner Nation? Thank you all for tuning in to another episode of the Barry and Mac Show. As always, myself, Barry, personal trainer, sports performance coach out of Tulsa, Oklahoma. And alongside me, former Sooner, wide receiver, 2000 national champ, Mr. Damian Mackey. How are we doing today, D-Mac? I got a I got a compound word for you, Barry. It's 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 uh it's 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 two words in one. You ready? Go Lake for it. Show. Uh, Lake show. Let's go, baby. Let's go. Yeah, man. By the way, I like it. We're down 12. First game of the series. Doesn't matter. What I'm looking at is we're not playing hard defense right now, and they're up 12. So when we clamp, they can't stop us. They can't stop us. I feel good about the series. I think Lakers and six. Lakers and six. That that was uh you know when Golden State and LA played uh, the the first couple games you saw some stuff Golden State was doing um, to uh, to take advantage of some things Clay was hitting some open shots but LA is so flexible on the defensive side of the ball that and I actually thought think Darvin Ham's done a good job coaching I mean obviously LeBron is a part of that too but in terms of the defensive style and the way they attacked. Um, Golden State in some of their their screen game, taking away some of the things that Jordan Poole liked to do. Once they made Jordan Poole just a normal jag player, and he wasn't able to go for 14, 15, get the easy 20 in a game four, and Austin Reeves outplayed him. I mean, that that was it. You you kind of saw the way that series was going. And I was I was rooting for the dubs. I was wanting them to possibly get one more, but they just didn't have enough, man. Um, LA, we'll see what kind of adjustments they make, how tonight's game holds out, but I think they got a serious shot. And I think that Eastern conference, I want to ask you about that. The Eastern conference might be pretty interesting, man. Uh, Miami plays good defense. They got Michael Jordan's son, uh, over there who really balling out. Um, what do you think about where both series? I, I can imagine what you think about the Lakers nuggets, but on the other side of the bracket, Boston and Miami, does Boston just too much talent or does Miami give them a good run? Nah, it'll be Boston in five, six if they give a game away. Um, it's going to be, you know, I got Lakers in six, but the, the Denver the Denver series is going to be the class of the Titans. By the way, uh, my man uh, AD just tossed uh, Joker stuff to the ceiling. So Ooh. there's that. But Give me Miami and five. I mean, not Miami. Give me Boston and five. If they give a game away, it'll be Miami and six for sure. Excuse me. I'd, Boston. Yeah. Boston and six. I'd love to see Hero get back because if Hero gets back, I think it changes things a little bit. It does. Um, it does. I do worry about, yeah, Miami just not having enough shooting, but I think Jimmy is good for two games. Uh, but I, I think Boston does probably get it done. I would say six or seven. I think Spolstra is a whiz when it comes to defense yep. and they're going to do some stuff. I agree with that. To, yeah, I think they're going to do some stuff to uh to to make it difficult on guys like Marcus Smart. I think that um uh Jason Tatum has shown times where he can be mortal and then he can also go off like he did in the Philly series. Um I was not surprised one bit 
in how game seven turned out in that series. Uh, not at all, man. Uh, but know the fans, by the way, I'm, I'm, I'm going LA in six just to, uh, get that out of the way. I'm actually with you. I think LA gets it done over Denver and, uh, maybe we get a bubble, a bubble rematch, but Sooner fans did not come here for the NBA talk, even though we'll give you a little bit of that. Um, they came here for some Sooner news and some insight. And even though we are in the dog days of summer, there is still some news to go around. Um, OU recently adds two transfers, one in a uh, Division II linebacker named Connor Near, and we'll talk about him. And another one, uh, just today, DMAC, Lane Jenkins, uh, defensive end, edge player, 6'6", 255, out of Butler Community College. Uh, we talked pre-show that you, you had some guys on your team that uh, came from the community college ranks uh, or uh, and JUCO kind of thing. Uh, Butler specifically, uh, Lane's impressive, man. I, I watched some of the film today. It's a lot of practice film that's available online. You see the length right off the bat. Uh, you see really good feet some explosiveness. Um, he has got some serious movement uh, where you could see this guy obviously playing at Oklahoma, but I could have seen him play some downs for Georgia, play some downs for a team like LSU. He has the length and the ability to to get to the SEC where OU is going to be in a year and and have an impact. What do you think about Jenkins and what OU got? Uh, he is the microcosm of a plan. We talked about this consistently. Uh, I, I love the fact that our staff understands where we are and where we're headed. And they know, like, this is the caliber of athlete you need to compete where we're getting ready to be going. Right. A good friend of mine uh, and Sooner alumni by the name of Jerome Jackson coached with God rest his soul, Coach Leach at Mississippi State for two or three years. And while JJ was there, he was just like, D-Mac, listen, it's a different breed out here. He was like, the dogs and gorillas that they have out here, OU doesn't have those dudes. And obviously, Coach V has recruited those guys, played against those guys, won championships against those guys. So he knows what those guys look like. And 6'5", 255, with athletic bend. I mean, we don't, you know who, you know who we have that's the most like him. And you're going to, you're going to cringe when I say this, who do you, who do you think currently? I mean, obviously PJ, why right, he's a pup. So we, we, he's wet behind the ears. We're not going to include him. Who's the best looking athlete we have at DN. Oh, Reggie Grimes. And he's Tarzan plays like Jane yeah. and he's yeah. longer and bigger than him. So yeah. you're looking at a guy who's got multiple years left to play in the program high ceiling, plus athlete, uh, looks the part. And I think the bigger picture, the bigger thing, uh, B, is that they got him on campus and got to spend a day with him. They got to see, uh, uh, you know, the nuts and bolts of who he is. And then, of course, you know, I think it was pretty smart by him and Twitter and the other spaces, basically alluding to the fact that Georgia wanted him. And and with Georgia being obviously king of the hill, you know, and, and winning these natties, anytime George is in on a kid, that kind of con- continues to kind of validate and, and a stamp of approval. So anytime we can, one, win a recruiting battle against a place like that, and then two, get get that caliber of athlete, it's a big deal. Now, I do want to put the caveat. The caveat is the rumors are 
that they wanted him to play one more year. JC tucked away under the radar and then come out next year um, and, and be one of the 24 class. But I, I got firsthand info that, you know, we did, we weren't even going to wait. We don't have that luxury. And I think there's a bigger need at OU. Uh, yeah. and, and kudos to the defensive line coaches, you know, Hey, it's another, it's another, it's another skin on the wall for Chavis and Bates and BV and co, you know, um, just we, we, how long have we belabored and moaned about the lack of distinct talent at the defensive line position and with Ford and with Bothrod and now this young man coming in and, and the kid that came in from Notre Dame, it's good to see quickly adding that quality depth competition and practice, which creates championship rosters. So salute to the staff. We'll see what he does. If nothing else, he'll push those guys and be an additional athlete that we can find a way to play winning football. Yeah, man, I said that on the, uh, the Twitter space today that I do every day with a uh, lead recruiting analyst, Chris Mason at Sooners 360. There's a little plug every uh, Tuesday at 930 in the morning. Y'all invite uh, me like, just invite me, you know, every once in a while, I can just give me just, just get the kid on every once in a while. You know what I'm saying? Just, just <laughs> we'll, we'll get you on there. We'll get you on there. <laughs> um, but man, I said that, uh, that a lot of folks have been saying, man, it seems like, OU is just bringing in a ton of guys on the at the defensive line position and the it it only feels like a lot because OU wasn't bringing in anywhere close to the amount of legitimate players who could play on the field the the previous 5 to 6 years that they just weren't they would hang their hat on and this is what what I kind of uh said in the space they would hang their hat on getting one to two guys in a recruiting cycle that were the level of well, Isaiah Thomas is a bad example, but a great example is Ronnie Perkins. They hung their hat on Ronnie Perkins being the guy on campus that they thought he could be, but there was nobody around him. Yet Jalen Redmond, who was a bit inconsistent, not a bit, quite a bit inconsistent. And then they had to go get a parry on later, but they didn't have three parry on Winfrey's, who was a good player, but he wasn't what Georgia is rolling out there, right? Georgia is rolling out Jags who are Perry on Winfrey and then elite top 15 talent on that defensive line. And in order for you to, to elevate your program and compete in the SEC, you have to have a number of those players who could move like that and challenge the other guys. It wasn't that they were, oh, you had some talent at the defensive line. They did, but they didn't have a single player under them, behind them, who were able to legitimately be a threat to take away playing time. And that's also in play with the other player that OU brought in, did a little more film work on him, uh, was able to see some of the stuff that he did at Ferris State. And that is Mike Linebacker, Connor Near, Connor with a K. Um, he is a Division II athlete. Um, we talked pre-show Division two is not division two like when you played. Uh, the talent pool, because of access that players have now, is so deep. There's so many athletes out there. The, the margin that separates D1 to D2 now is, especially like skill positions, but you could even go as far as like linebacker. Really what separates is height, size, how developed you are by the time you get to um, senior year in high school. But 
it's razor thin. So finding a guy like this, who I, I honestly think near can contribute, um, he does some interesting stuff on film. One of the things he he did, his first three plays on his highlight reel were things that you talked about during the season that the linebackers were not doing at Oklahoma, which was essentially going under the guard, taking themselves right out of the play. He wasn't afraid to stick his nose in the trash push the pile and do the right thing in a number of his highlights, DMAC are him making a play so that the other guy gets the assist on the tackle or the other guy gets the tackle. Yes. There's a lot where he he's getting downhill and wrapping a guy up, but there was a lot of stuff where you see him actually dictate what happens with the play. So, so I want to get your thoughts on Connor near how talented of a guy is he? Uh, do Sooner fans have a reason to be excited? And where does he fit into the scheme that BV wants to do? Bold prediction, he starts game one. Ooh. If he's healthy, he buys in for summer. Uh, bold prediction, he starts game one. Listen, uh, the, the linebacker position is void of a stalwart, stalwart football player. We're void of it. And and uh, stunts is a, is a, is going to be a guy they're depending on. He he's got obviously he's got a lot of you know uh, reps under his belt. Uh, the the kid who came in from Indiana is gonna he, he's gonna be at one of those second level defender positions. He's a plus athlete. He's a good player, and and he's a guy who I think they're depending on as well. He's going to play well in space. They need a ball player. They need a guy who can diagnose. They need a guy who can read the guard. They need a guy who can beat the fullback to the spot, hit the correct shoulder, and leak the ball where it's supposed to go. He does it consistently on film. You talk about his athleticism. I'm talking about his IQ. The, the, the kid is a guy who is, again, these are the players. And, and this is the part that really kind of irks my soul, right? about the last six, seven years, the Lincoln Riley regime more. And, and really since Coach V's left, he's the guy that case, like if K-State was on our schedule and he's healthy, they're not going to beat us. He's going to diagnose the run game stuff and put our cheetah, put our in the box safety, put our edge defender in position to have the ball have to go to them. Our backers since Link has been here have not understood that very simple yet physical concept and that's what he that's what he's going to do. He's a plus athlete. He's a, he's a, he's a, listen, you don't hit you don't get all American uh, at that level just because you 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 know blue collar Johnny who wears a hard hat and whatever, right? Can diagnose the dive. He's a ball player. And that's a position where we were able to quickly add athleticism. We've added depth, but we still don't have an alpha dog. I wouldn't say I wouldn't call stunts the alpha dog. I think by default, he has the most reps. The, the kid coming from uh, Indiana comes from a losing program and was a very young pup who's got a very high ceiling, who could take and emerge in that role. But gosh, dang it, you got a solidified guy who's been in those in, in those games and he doesn't have to be everything. See, when you get the additional talent in there. Right. And you've got guys who can go have a run through. Right, read the back star B gap and shoot the gap and beat the tack or beat the point guard or beat the sniffing tight end coming across the formation. Or you've got a guy who can buzz the flat and sing to the curl. Like all he's got to do is read what the offense is doing, check his keys, watch film, and be in those positions to make 
all the rest of the guys we have out there on that second level and on the third level come into the box. Pearson coming into the box. Harrington coming into the box. Bowman coming into the box. Bowen, PB having the opportunity, right? He's going he's gonna to make life simple for those guys. I'm not using this as a comparison, but I'm just telling you, when Rocky Kalmus was in the game, Torrance Marshall ate. Roy Williams mm. ate. You know what I'm saying? Like that, Teddy Lehman ate. Those guys were able to eat because Rocky could see what was going to happen and put everybody else in a winning situation. Not making a comparison, not calling him Rocky. I don't know that he's going to be a Buckus guy or any of that stuff. I just know we... The conversation behind the scenes has been that we're void of quality, high IQ and physical football players. And man, that you know, again, not putting a bunch of Kool-Aid out there or crimson colored glasses. It's just a fact when you watch film and you see the guys recruited today versus the guys that were being recruited three, four, five years ago. We don't take a Reggie Pearson. He doesn't have a high enough, you know, flash uh, 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 component to his game. He's just a mm-hmm. ball player. He's going to banana the C-gap and he's going to hit you in the mouth on the way. Like that's, that's the kind of guy he is, right? I don't know that we take this kid if we've got Link. Maybe we take him out of desperation, but I do know this. His, his plan was to get on a plane after leaving OU and go to University of Miami and he canceled all trips. Why? Because our coach knows how to close the deal. So um, excited to have him in, 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 the, in the mix. My bold prediction, so I'm not saying that that's like a, a foregone conclusion, but my bold prediction is that he starts. I firmly believe based upon what we have coming back and what he can contribute, he has the potential to be a starter. And it'll probably be Mike, which puts stunts in a position to be a will, right? And puts um, our, 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 our young, uh, we'll see, right? The Indiana kid, it's going to create a lot of opportunity for experienced guys to have to battle to be on the field. Good position for us to be in. Yeah, and that just, man, it gives you so much flexibility, too. If you have a guy who can be consistent at that spot and and be a good athlete, I mean, it, it what you get with uh, Deshaun, what you get with uh, Harrington at that point, the, the fewer plays that Stutzman has to play, like when you go back and watch film from a year ago at the linebacker position, you know, I I did the uh, horrific the other day and watched the entire K-State and TCU game. And I, I watched it for another reason on the offensive side of the ball. And we'll have some of that on uh, Sooners360.com. But, man, at linebacker, particularly against K-State, it was just guys consistently a step slow and out of position and if they are just in position dmac it's two to three touchdowns off the board it's third it's third and seven instead of third and one and then k-state gets a 10-yard gain they move it was just that all night long we talked about it you talked about it after the game you have a player like this who you said it any guy who's all american at any level is is a good player right he brings in a a little bit of a a work hard mentality and even though he doesn't necessarily you know he's not on the all off the bus team you look at a a james skalski some of the pictures he's he's posted that have been posted online of him next to to stutzman and him next to um uh and some of the other guys tell me any sooner fan who wouldn't have wanted him 
when he was in his heyday <laughs> at Clemson playing middle backer for Oklahoma on any of those Lincoln teams, right? I don't think you would find one. I think Sooner fans looked at that team and said, man, when are we going to find a guy who plays like that? And, and it's, it's been a piece that's been missing, man. Um, now, I want to go back before we move entirely um, on from this topic. Um, and, you know, today's podcast won't be extremely lengthy. I want to go back just kind of big picture on some of the challenges that a, uh, a JUCO guy faces when one transferring from JUCO to wherever he wants to go to school maybe some of the risk factors there for the coaching staff, some of the things that they look at. Um, you had some guys who were, um, what were Juco on your team who came from different schools, right? Um, is there, uh, or do the coaches keep a little tighter eye on a guy, especially if maybe there's a behavior history. We all know that a lot of guys end up in Juco. It's a lot of times it's either grades or behavior. That's, that's a big chunk of the players. It's not a talent thing. Um, well, what are some of the things there that a, a guy going from JUCO to major D1 football, are there some challenges on his side as well as the coaching side? Yeah, you know, I think that's changed. When I, when I was coming through, JUCO guys were designed to fill holes in, in, in the roster and, and, you know, a bridge between a gap in talent. Uh, we hit on a lot of JUCOs. I could name a ton of JUCOs that played NFL, you know, that played with me. Why Robert is a is a JUCO guy. Stocker McDougal is a JUCO guy. Torrance Marshall is a JUCO guy. Josh Heupel is a JUCO guy, right? Like we had uh, uh, guys come in. Uh, Howard Duncan was a JUCO guy, right? So like bona fide starters who were key cogs in our team. Um, because like you said, if you have relationships with the right programs back in those days, you could get studs team. I mean, just T Marshall is one of the best athletes on the team. Howard Duncan was the most athletic him and Frank Romero were the two most athletic linemen. We, and I, Frank's really a DN that we put weight on to become a, a left tackle hype, obviously, right. His, his story, everyone knows. Uh, and you look at some of those other guys, Will Barty was, was a, I mean, dude, six, two and ran a four, three, nine, four, four, one at safety slash 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 db today uh the juco it's not what it used to be and there was a there was a i would say kind of like a mark on that on that 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 space i would say even as 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 recent as three four years ago that said the juco ranks had dried up right a lot of the juco ranks you know you couldn't get the same talent then that you can now well now it's kind of it's kind of morphing again and you, you know there are guys who like you're saying th- there are more i'd say like the last 2 3 years not more but there are more apparent straight starters at the D- at the D- at the juco level you see a, a perion right like those guys who, for whatever reason, didn't make it the first go round. By the way, another reason, and it's kind of it kind of aligns with behavior, but it's maturity. Mm-hmm. What I hear a lot of coaching staff say is they weren't mature enough to play ball and go to class. They weren't mature enough to not be distracted with girls or not be distracted with the streets or not be distracted with whatever. Right, like that's a huge piece. And so, to your point, Barry, a program they are they're going to recruit JUCO guys, but they're going to filter much more 
with a with a with a keen eye than they would a, a 17, 16 year old kid who they feel like they can get in their program and create supports to help them win. The JUCO guys, they're looking for guys who come already prepared on the maturity side, right? They're not gonna do the kid who's barely making grades, like a co. Co was a guy who the grade issue was an issue and rumor on the street is there's some great issues today. Like he, he's a guy who still hasn't overcome some of his academic issues. And, um, you know, and then the other thing is this, you don't see as many JUCOs come out who are depth guys. Schools would rather go to the portal. They'd rather get a youngster. Again, if they're recruiting a JUCO guy, it's because there is, there's a extreme need. And so when you're looking at the kid we just picked up, Jenkins, I believe is his name, they're not picking him up for the sake of saying, hey, we need a, a, a third, you know, a, the, the number five DN. He's coming in with the potential to play. Ford has issues with health, right? Uh, we've got a couple of returners who didn't show the explosion we need. We got a puppy who's a five star who is obviously the cachet. Um, we've got a puppy who's second year who's grown and RMT. So we've got, but but what he brings is stability and the ability to be an alpha. He has the ability, depending on if he seizes that, to do it. So when you're looking at JUCO, I would say today, Barry, it's changed from like depth, you know, value and and um, kind of gaps to like you're you, you're gonna you're gonna offer a JUCO guy if he has the potential to be a stud. Mm. Like if he has the potential to be a stud, you're gonna go there. And then it's, it's, I think it's also, and this is something to, to consider as well is there's kind of like a portal season, right? So like you have your roster, you have your transfer out, the guys who transfers out as your guys transfer out, you can have guys transfer in and coaches have learned all transfers aren't equal. So you don't just take transfer for the sake of transfers, right? Because sometimes a transfer might be a wash or it might downgrade to position. And so it's like, okay, there's recruiting season. There's transfer season, and then any holes after those two seasons, there is a JUCO season left where there's a JUCO recruiting window where when that portal is closed and college kids and high school kids, there's kind of those rules are right in place. Those JUCO kids, there's still there's still an opportunity. And so those JUCO kids now know to wait their turn for that particular window. And that's when they're going to get the, the lion's share of the attention. So coaches are coaches are being nimble and being flexible and learning how to maximize the value of all those seasons. And guys like the, the Lane Jenkins kids is, is going to have his turn. And, and he sees the moment. Oh, you sees the moment match made in heaven. We'll see if he can produce and be a value add during season. Matt, all, all I think about when, when you talk about that is um, just how smart and obviously, you know, oh, you fans were, were disappointed when it happens and shout out, to Coach Stoops getting it done um, at the XFL level, man. Shout out to your ball coach. Right. But, right. Man, he, big well, game Bob, baby. Big game Bob. When he got out, though, was when the college game was making a transition to this. Recruiting has always been year-round, but now it is, it is year-round. What was year-round was visits, staying in contact with athletes, um, making sure you're going out and scouting kids, doing that properly, right? But now what is year-round that used to not be is just roster management. I mean, just do you have the numbers at key positions is something 
like what happened at Michigan State or like happened at Oklahoma State going to randomly happen where you have a fallout with a coach and a bunch of kids just hit the portal that you have not planned for. And, and so now you are constantly having to recruit your own roster. You are having to, no. you're having to recruit new players, players who you maybe don't have an offer out to now, but you might in the next month. Just yep. for the, for for us who aren't you know haven't seen into that college coaching world, uh, DMAC, uh for for onlookers, what does and you can maybe talk about a few specific coaches just on the staff that year round grind that the coaches are coaches like Venables right um, the year round grind that these guys have to do in order to keep the players that they currently have. And also make sure that they're set up for the future. Just the the effort and the intensity that has to be brought on a daily basis. That feels like a big reason why why Coach Stoops got out of the game. It was just he saw where it was heading, and he said, "I I don't want to do it." So so you could give us a little inside baseball on uh, on some of that. I'll give you a couple past and present, usual and unusual suspects. And one is going to blow, people are going to be like, he's lying because this person got such a bad reputation. But now I think we're starting to see. Uh, back in the day, Bobby Jack Wright, I'm just telling you, he was a grinder. He literally used to grind all of Texas and made it very clear relationships matter. And he was responsible for a ton of the kids that we got uh, in, in those days, and believe it or not, believe it or not, and, and I think, I think, I think he was probably one. You know, his best attributes were what he brought in the program more so than recruiting. But Jonathan Hayes, Jonathan Hayes was a rookie at recruiting, and the coaches made fun of him a lot. And he, he, he had some misses, <laughs> but he had some misses, but he had some hits. And he was a guy who I all or coach, I wouldn't call him a guy. He's a coach who I always saw really paying close attention uh, to the recruiting game. Um, and there's a couple other names that I won't say because I can say them now. But uh, now, usual suspects, I mean, immediately when he came in, all of a sudden, the receiver position and, and the names coming out and what he's putting together, like literally in five months as being a position coach with us is Coach Jones. I have personal friends who are personal friends with him that have come from that I-20 corridor. And I'm just here to tell, I'm just telling you, like, these are guys I coached with. They are like, Mac, he, they're mad. He's not at Texas. And they're surprised. He's not at like Bama. Like he's Bama position coach, the pedigree, the, the reverence. That's what I hear from guys who come from big time programs in the South Dallas area, the DeSotos, the Dunks, the, the Cedar Hills, the Sox, those guys, the reverence he gets in those in those circles is huge because he can go and immediately have a meeting with whoever he wants coming from that sector. And and everyone says, Mackie, he's a grinder. Like he's not a glitz and glam. He's not I'm the coolest guy on the block. He's I don't mind getting in the mud and getting it done. Uh, the, the, this one, again, I saw it personally, but. I got confirmation. I get confirmation to this day. Our head coach recruits like a position coach. Our head coach recruits like a coordinator and our head coach recruits like a head coach. And I, I, I don't think people understand how much presence and strategy he brings to the table from the macro lens where you're looking at the class, the roster management, 
right? That plan A's, plan A1, plan B's, plan B1's, and the micro where when you're on campus, you feel special by him, Hmm. right? And he leverages himself as an HBC as it relates to skill, offense, O-line, whatever, but he also leverages himself as a backer specialist. A backer, and I would say the term everyone hates, cheetah, right? People don't like that term cheetah, but like he gets to hang his hat on Isaiah Simmons. He gets to hang his hat on Roy Williams. He gets to hang his hat on guys who he coached who went on to be studs in the league. And um, so he's obviously a very, he's the best recruiter on the staff amongst a ton of really good recruiters. Here's the unusual suspect. And I'm, I'm just, I just consistently and continually hear it the last 10, 12 months. So I'm going to say it and give props and pay homage to, because I know a lot of people used to bang on him and say, what the hell is going on with him and roster management and numbers. You know who it is? It's Coach B. I firmly believe he was hamstrung by the OC and head coach named Lincoln Riley. I 100% am hearing nothing but glowing reviews, how hard he works, the relationships he builds, the guys we've lost out on, like the kid from San Diego State. I think he, I don't know where he ended up, or maybe he went back and went to Bama, or he, he committed somewhere, and then he was looking at come, come, OU, because he was a kid out of high school that really wanted to come to OU, and this was the year Lincoln, right, shut things down. This is the the Rattler C-Dub year, yeah. uh, where we just stopped recruiting a bunch of positions. I'm just here to tell you, like, he was like, not, he was emotional about not picking on you. And, you know, there was, there was some things in the background, but like, I am hearing just like bar none, coach B is grinding. And I think we're seeing the efforts in the linemen that we're pursuing now and the relationships that we're gaining now and the, um, the caliber of old line, like all of a sudden old line recruiting is it's 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 looking totally different than it did when we're like, wait, wait, why did we only recruit three linemen in the 2020 class? Or why did we only recruit three linemen in the 19 class? Now the classes are getting back to the, the the volume we need and then the competitive talent that we need and converting. When a Caden Green comes in and immediately is a guy who's considered a potential starter, granted, we need depth, we lack depth, but if he can play on Saturdays as a true freshman. That's a big deal, not to mention Howland and, and, and Sexton. And right, there's a bunch of kids coming through the pipe that we hear stronger, we hear leaner, we hear have better bend and more physical. To me, that lends that it wasn't the position coach that was the issue. It was it was roster management by HBC who wanted to be in control of all, all things. So a lot of people probably don't agree, and that's cool. I'm not here to, you know what I'm saying, tell everybody they truth. I'm telling you my truth and what I'm hearing firsthand from folk that I know are in those meetings. Uh, Coach B is getting it done, and I expect him to continue to get it done uh, in the years to come. Yeah, I mean, I was having this conversation with somebody the other day and trying to, it, it was in defense of of Riley having such small recruiting classes and this is even before the the transfer portal and right. he really ran his program like you run a like you run a club volleyball or club 7 on 17 where it's like you go out and you're very strategic and you're very tight with your numbers you you're very choosy with who you get you don't throw out a you don't go out and get 
three kids for one position. You have one guy who you're putting all your eggs in that basket, and that's who you go get. And that mentality at this level of college football, when the chances of you succeeding, right? You think of how many teams there are, how many players on each team, right? You experience this firsthand. And then how many of those players play meaningful minutes for you on Saturday? It's a small number. So the chances of you hitting on every single player that you recruit in a class of 17, 19, right when you could have taken 25 to 30, that is a lot of bodies that you're just missing out on every player who might have been a diamond in the rough. You're completely throwing an Orlando Brown. Like, does does Lincoln even recruit an Orlando Brown, right? No. Or is, but there you go. So, so th- and he ends up turning into an absolute stud. Right. If he if they didn't have a four or five star next to their name, you didn't touch it. And then they had to be a specific player on top of that. Uh, but, man, we won't belabor a ton of that. Uh, we, we've gone over quite a bit before we get out of here today, man. For those who follow you on the Instagram and uh, all your other spaces, man, you have been uh, getting after it. Talk a little bit. You have a bunch of videos. Love the training videos. Uh, for those who don't know. Uh, that's kind of how me and DMAC got started for our new listeners. I was working with them uh, through through a platform that I use with clients. And uh, DMAC is uh, is looking pretty good, man. Uh, there, there's still some progress to be made, but he's getting after it. But uh, talk a little bit uh, real quick for the folks who don't follow you on social, who need to go follow at Dame That Dude and follow at BYS Fitness, at letter B, W-I-S-E Fitness while you're at it. Talk a little bit about what you're doing on there, man. Oh, uh, man, I, this is why are you why are you why are you making me awkward? I mean, I do have a job outside of <laughs> outside of talking sports about my Sooners. Um, I, I, I'm essentially a business coach. I help entrepreneurs specifically in the insurance world build uh, their own agencies. Right. This is a very lucrative industry. It's a business where you can own a book of business. You're essentially building an asset. And a lot of people learn the the basics of it, but not really the nuanced way to 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 scale it you know to build leaders and it's just a lot of what i've learned along my journey as being an athlete and then uh being a principal and leading campuses and and uh man it, it's something i love to do i have a passion for it uh, and a lot of people this is it's an industry that is you know there's always folk dying and folk making babies and there's a serious lack uh, financial intelligence. I call it, you know, I teach a lot of classes on financial intelligence and making sure people understand how to, you know, make money work for them instead of always just working for money. Don't, don't get it twisted. Big government wants you to work for money and, 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 and lean on their support. I'm, I'm all about government staying out my business and let me do my own business and, and providing the proper education and, and uh, opportunity for people to literally use money, what it was intended to be, which is a tool and a resource to get us the things we need in life. So uh, yeah, I'm ramping it up a little bit. We got some stuff cooking. I'm, I'm investing. I'm starting to invest heavily in marketing and, uh, it's crazy, right? Just what technology allows us to do. Strangers are now knocking on the door, asking for support, asking for help, asking for mentorship. And, uh, that's not a bad thing. I promise you that's not, I, I'm, I'm super appreciative and grateful and humbled by it. Uh, by the way, I didn't ask Barry to say that. I'm kind of, <laughs> I didn't ask him to do it. I wouldn't, this, this pod is about OU and I'll sneak in some Lakers stuff periodically, but yeah, man, we're we're doing our thing. Definitely something that I uh, 
Enjoy. I had to give you a shout out, man. I'm liking the stuff. Uh, good, good follow and good stuff today, man. I'm trying to pull this Lakers game back up. What are we looking at? They're getting right that now? ass. Where we we down 18. Yeah, it's not. It's not. But but, but here's tonight. the deal. We're scoring at will, so I'm not too concerned because we're gonna put the clamp on. Like I'm watching the way we're playing defense. We're playing like we play Golden State game one of that series where guys just got the shots they wanted. We were kind of just testing to see if they could make the threes, if they come off the down, the down screens and make the curl or curl and make the threes. We're not doing what we started doing game three, four, five. So I feel, I feel good that when we ramp it up, them shots that's going down right now is going to be a little bit more difficult. And we came out small. I don't know why we, we started Schroeder and they're a long team. They're a big team. Gordon's muscling freaking LeBron. That's interesting. Yeah, so, that's interesting. Yeah, we came th- out small they when they're a long back. team. Yeah. Vanderbilt. Van- so uh, seven-game series. We just got to win one of these two. I'm not sure. Yeah, f- first, first game is uh, well, I, we saw how important that was in a couple series. But um, in the Sacramento-Golden State series, man, those first couple games, Sacramento got after it. But – you saw the the roots of what was going to be a problem with Looney getting rebounds and some of the yep. kickouts he was having on the offensive boards. You you can see some of that uh, in, in NBA, man. It, it's just such a different game other than football. There's so many little battles um, that kind of go on when you have a seven game series. There's adjustments, and chess matches. It's just it's such a different thing. So. I still think both of these series are going to be pretty competitive. I think the the West is probably going to be the most competitive. And I think either way, man, we're going to get a good uh, good NBA Finals this year. For sure. Uh, no For matter sure. what. I mean, if it's – doubt it's going to be Heat Nuggets, but even if it is, I'll tune in and watch that. I think Jimmy sure. Butler is must-watch. For those of you who don't watch Jimmy Butler, he is absolute must-watch. TV at this point. I was listening to uh, Jeff Teague tell the the story of when he was at Minnesota. Do you remember this deal where he was at Minnesota? I just know that he was he he was too alpha for them boys. I mean, them, he them, was wild. He, he came in there and said this was in the midst of contract discussions, and he walks into practice wearing like jeans, loafers, and a t shirt. And he tells the the entire management team, "You guys effing need me. You can't win without me. These clowns can't win without me." And they were like, "Jimmy, we need to practice. Go over there, get with the ones." He says, "Nah, I want the third stringers, not even the second stringers. Give me the third team, and I'm gonna beat everybody's ass over here." <laughs> and he proceeds to do work on Carl Anthony Towns, yeah. on uh, Jeff Teague. I uh, can't remember who else was on. Anthony Edwards wasn't there yet at this time. Um, no, he wasn't. And and they say Jimmy did not take a shot. He played defense and passed the ball. And then he, at the very end, Jeff said he takes his shirt off and he's got the 23 jersey, but he's cut the Minnesota logo out of the jersey. And he walks off and an hour <laughs> later, an hour later, does an interview with Rachel Nichols talking about how Minnesota needs I miss Rachel Nichols. Get her back on the NBA Finals, guys. I I, I loved her, man. She was great. Um, she's not on there anymore. Uh, so, nope. interesting stuff. Can't can't say some certain things in th- this day and age. But, uh, man, good stuff today. We'll get out of here and, uh, so we can finish watching up some, uh, some basketball. 
Great stuff as always. Sooner fans, if you, oh, before I get out, I told everybody on the space, if you uh, shouted us out, gave us a mention, um, I want to shout out a one Cheryl Bishop had an awesome, very kind tweet uh, about some of the stuff we're doing uh, up there on Twitter. Uh, Cheryl Bishop 33 on Twitter. Go give her a follow, ladies and gentlemen. I said on the Twitter space, if you guys give us a shout out, a mention, uh, talked about Barry and Mac show, Sooners 360, whatever it may be, we would give you a little shout out there. So uh, there you go. And maybe we'll have some more of those in the future, but go leave us a rating and review. Let us know if you like the show. Follow us on Twitter at Barry and Mac SHW. Follow Damien at D underscore Mac 13. You can find me on everything at BYS Fitness at the letter B W I S E Fitness. Thank you all so much for tuning in, and we will see you soon.